can trust be transmitted? Hello listeners, I'm your host Ziad Matar and I would like to welcome you all to the Wireless Leaders podcast where I talk about everything tech, business and design. On each episode, I invite some of the brightest minds to join me and discuss cutting-edge technologies, emerging business models, and the latest design trends that are transforming our world and shaping the future. Wireless yours. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us and welcome to our second season of the Wirelessly Yours podcast. I'm your host, Ziad Matar, and in the season two premiere, we will talk about trust, how to establish it, how to develop it, and most importantly, how to keep it. Trust is a big word and an even bigger concept, more than ever the core uh, of every discussion that we're having nowadays. Trust in information, rumors, fake news, trust in authority, we'll talk more about that, and more importantly, trust among people, especially in the business world where we have to deal with team members, colleagues, manager, as well as clients, investors, and competitors. And to talk about this today, I have the great honor and privilege of hosting Gary Nesner. Gary is the author of Stalling for Time, uh, an amazing book about uh, negotiation and sums up his life as a negotiator, chief of the uh, FBI crisis negotiation uh, unit. Uh, Gary, welcome on board. Please join me in uh, giving him a very big round of uh, virtual applause. Uh, thank, thank you very much. Thanks for much. joining us. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, by now, most of our, our audience is wondering why, why did I you know, invite you as an FBI hostage negotiator to, to this show, and uh, which usually I, I, I do around business, technology, and design. We'll talk a little bit about that, but uh, first let's talk about the backgrounds. I typically you know, talk about what's behind me or what hat I'm wearing. So to start off, I'll, I'll show you today, I have this hat, which is more of a you know, uh, you know, a funny helmet that I got in a, in a, in a souvenir shop once, but I, I have kept it. Uh, I have kept it in, 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 uh, in the back of my office because I thought one day I will have a very strong, you know, confrontational or aggressive meeting and I want to have this hat to wear it. Thank God I have never had to wear it, neither in uh, real uh, life nor in, uh, you know, over a Zoom calls. So I will remove it. But uh, let's talk a little bit more about your background and what are the different hats that you wear, Gary? <laughs> well, um, I, I wanted to uh, be in the FBI since I was oh, pretty young, probably about eight years old, and uh, having seen a show on it on TV, and uh, I just wanted to do something that I felt would uh, be important and make a difference and uh, was a challenging and exciting career. And once I went through college and eventually was able to get in the FBI, they uh, they introduced us to a very new concept about hostage negotiations, and I got involved in that as, as sort of a part-time function within the FBI, and eventually, you know, through the years, uh, became the chief of, of all the FBI's negotiators, and, um, you know, had an opportunity to work a, a lot of situations, hijackings and kidnappings and right-wing militia standoffs, embassy takeovers, and uh, traveled to the Middle East. I worked a lot of hijackings. And so it was, um, it was a very interesting career and a challenging one. And, uh, you know, from that, I, uh, I decided to share some of the lessons I learned uh, in my book, Stalling for Time, to try to uh, discern from those experiences what were the key communication um, points that can help us all to be more successful in 
um, sustaining, building and sustaining positive relationships and, you know, helpful for business and in your personal life as well. So that's kind of my story. And now I'm, you know, retired and uh, do some corporate speaking and um, trying to uh, stop and smell the roses a bit more. So life is pretty good. And I'm, I'm happy to to have these discussions today. And, and you got, I guess, a little bit uh, busy uh, during the past year, maybe probably it happened uh, prior to uh, the whole pandemic situation with, uh, you know, your work on uh, the Netflix series, uh, WECO, which uh, we cannot yet watch in, in our region, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, how was it to, you know, go back in time and remember that period of, of your life, of your career. Yeah, it was a very interesting experience. You know, uh, my book came out in 2010, and uh, a very large chapter in the book is about the 1993 uh, infamous Waco siege that I think many people are aware of, a 52-day-long siege where, you know, ultimately the, the com uh, compound burned down and, you know, over 70 people were killed. As negotiators, we were able to get out 35 people, including 21 children, and, and during the siege, there was a great deal of dissent within the FBI as to continue with the negotiation strategy I recommended or take a more forceful approach. Um, so I discussed that at length in my book, and um, a few years ago, um, my book rights were purchased uh, along with the book rights of David Thibodeau, one of the, um, uh, Thibodeau, one of the uh, surviving Davidians, and those two books were the basis for a six-part mini-series uh, that first appeared on the Paramount Network, They're just called simply Waco. And um, it was released on uh, Netflix uh, several months ago and has gotten quite a bit of attention and, um, and, and uh, interest and spoken about a lot on podcasts. It's a, it's a good program that tells you about the emotional drama we experienced out there. There's obviously some Hollywood dramatization that uh, you know, stretches the truth here and there a bit, but I think it gives you a good glimpse of David Koresh and it also gives you, and his control over his followers, and it also gives you a glimpse of the internal problems we had in the FBI. So uh, I'm proud to have been involved in the program and uh, they certainly treated me well in it. So um, I'm not sure what else you want me to say on that, but if someone gets a chance to oh. see it when it does arrive overseas, I think they'll enjoy it. That's great, and uh, you know we look forward to Netflix or any of the other uh, you know streaming uh, networks or uh, TV networks in our region to carry it. But in the meantime, uh, I, I guess we can recommend to everybody to to get the book. Uh, so we'll share a link uh, to to the book page uh, later on on social media, and uh, we talk more about it in, in later. But again, thank you for trusting me and accepting uh, the invitation when we first uh, spoke on the phone and giving your. Uh, your uh, your background in negotiations, uh, even in the Middle East region, I told you I probably look like some of the peoples that you you would have negotiated with one day, uh, and this brings me to to our section now, which I call the the elephant in the zoom. And uh, in this case, I think there are two elephants in the zoom. And no, dear listeners, I'm not referring to Gary and myself. Our slender figures are not given justice by these cameras. Uh, first elephant in the zoom is is what I call uh, this butterfly effect of trust transactions uh, that led to us having this call. So uh, uh, I I met someone you know a very good friend of ours who happens to be now a common friend a few years ago, and there was an automatic you know uh, burst of trust that happened uh, between us and. Uh, 
and through a series of recommendations, uh, here we are today. So the first question is, can trust be transmitted? Is it something uh, that is, uh, you know, translational? Well, let me first say, before I answer that question, that you look a lot more like the many friends I met in the Middle East and not some of the people who with, with whom I had less friendly of a relationship. So um, I've been to the Middle East a number of times and I've always enjoyed the people and the culture. So I, I just want to set the record straight on that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and I mean that sincerely. Um, trust, you know, I, I think trust has to be earned. Um, you don't get it because the, the title of the position you hold or your level of authority, um, it, 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 it's, it's something that doesn't accrue to you automatically. You have to go through a process of demonstrating that you are trustworthy, that you are someone that will do what they say, will follow through on commitments they make, uh, someone that will be sensitive to the ideas and needs of another, and in essence, you could say that what you convey, you receive back in kind. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard to describe, but what is it about Ziad that, that, uh, that causes me to trust him? And I might have difficulty in articulating the specific attributes of your personality that bring me to that conclusion. But I might say, I don't know, overall, I just, I feel comfortable with him. I like the way we interact. I like the way he is interested in what I have to say, and I'm interested in what he has to say, and there's mutual respect, genuineness, sincerity, um, and that all leads to trust. So I, I think when people in business particularly um, are thinking about trust, don't try to shortcut that process. Um, really commit yourself to say, I want to listen and understand this individual I'm dealing with, and through that demonstration of my desire to listen and understand and appreciate them, I will at the same time be building trust. Uh, and when I have an opportunity to feedback my thoughts and my beliefs to them, uh, they'll respond in kind because I was respectful and thoughtful in dealing with them. So I'm not sure if that fully answers your question, but I think, uh, this is a process we go through and um, you know always think in your mind i have to not just say i trust somebody or i understand somebody i have to demonstrate it by uh, the way we engage in conversation and and i know you know one of the points is well that becomes challenging when it's over the phone or on a video conference yes it does but it's not impossible i mean if i can gain trust with somebody holding hostages strictly over a telephone and Certainly, can be done. Exactly. In, it certainly can be done in a less confrontational Zoom conference. You just have to work at it and take your time. Don't be in a rush to get to the end. It's as they say in life. It's it's not the destination. It's the journey. Um, so and exactly, you know, this is like my point about the second elephant in the room. Like we we've been through uh, this wave of uh, lockdowns and various restrictions where we were forced to. Uh, deal a lot uh, through uh, through you know distance uh, distant uh, communication uh, solutions like Zoom and others, and uh, of course we complained about uh, Zoom fatigue and 
and, and you know the, the back-to-back uh, you know effect that this can have on us but the, the thing that we were also you know coming to is that oh well you know in real uh, person in person meetings there is there is uh, there is a bit of uh, body language I'm able to turn to look at you you know to uh, to, to give eye contact etc whereas in zoom uh, we, we, we can't uh, do that properly and that uh, here you are you know back in the 80s 90s and probably today I doubt that any hostage negotiation is taking care uh, place over a FaceTime call. You were doing it over a good old, uh, you know, uh, traditional uh, phone device and and um, no visual at all. And in a hostile situation, not friendly, not supporting it, not supplier client. So, what are the the the, the, the tricks that uh, that uh, you can teach us or the learnings from this type of negotiation that can be translated easily to? our traditional or more day-to-day relationships uh, today? You know, as human beings, we we depend on uh, the visual clues a great deal. Um, Body language, you know, is another way of describing it to get a sense of someone. When we're restricted to um, a phone call, um, I think it actually provides us with a certain bit of an advantage. It allows us to focus more on what is being said, to listen more thoughtfully and carefully. Um, now, on Zoom or whatever uh, you know uh, electronic format you're talking about, it, it does give you a sense of, of the visual as well. But I, I think the important thing is not to think in the context of tricks. And I know you didn't mean to use that term, but I think it's just saying, you know, I want to be uh, in a good relationship with this client, this customer, this person I'm dealing with, whether it's Zoom or some other vehicle. So I'm going to really focus all my attention on this conversation and listening very carefully to what they have to say and responding carefully. You know, when people say, I hear you, I hear you, that's not nearly as powerful as when you use your own words to describe that. So, Ziad, what you were saying is the following. And when I describe it back in my words, whatever it is that you have conveyed to me, whatever the issue, concern, or uh, representation is, when I've done that accurately, it says, I understand, I listen. And people, by and large, want to be listened to, they want to be understood, and they want to be treated respectfully and appreciated. So, we all have it within us to do that. Even if it's someone that, you know, you're having a difficult time with, you know, if, if they have to raise the temperature of uh, the interaction, they're basically doing so because they don't feel like you're listening. You know, I'm getting angry when we see protesters in the street. And that's since they're saying we're out here protesting and carrying signs and bullhorns and so forth, because we don't think people are listening to what we're upset about. So when we provide people an opportunity to express themselves and we acknowledge not only what they're saying, but their feelings, it's a very powerful tool to help build and enhance a relationship. And when we're listening, I'll just leave you these two things and then take your next issue. But when we call active listening, that means it's a participatory thing. We don't just nod our head and go, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, We actually feed back what we're hearing. Good listening is about a restatement of contact. Uh, uh, of content. What what did you just tell me? What's the issue? What's the concern? And a reflection of feelings and how you feel about that. 
you know, Ziad, you're upset because you were expecting my company to deliver this shipment of goods on a certain date, and yet it didn't show up on time. And because of that, you're very frustrated. It prohibits you from making another sale, and uh, your boss is angry at you. Now, when I repeat that to you, if it in fact reflects how you feel, then you say, okay, he understands, he's getting it. He knows that I'm upset about this and why I'm upset. I'm not saying I agree with you. I'm not defending myself or arguing that your perception is incorrect. I'm merely letting you know, I heard you loud and clear. That and that alone is such a powerful tool to build positive relationships. And, uh, you know, arguably, I think that, uh, you know, this medium that we're working through uh, enables some people to, to express themselves maybe much better than in, in, in person. So you have the you have the introverts, you have the, the more shy people. And uh, uh, and uh, I, I know it from my son, you know, that uh, he, he loved the, the online learning part because he could switch off the camera if he doesn't want to. You know, he, he didn't have to, uh, you know, and, and he had this control. It's not that he switched it off, actually. Most of the time, he was actually very well uh, participating, but it gives well, that uh, control or the illusion of control, as we as we discussed. Well, the, the other thing is, what you may give up in terms of you know being seated together at a table in the same room, what you give up there, you gain in having the ability to be in contact more frequently and to be in contact with people that you otherwise would never have a chance to meet. I don't know that you and I will ever get a chance to meet unless I happen to go to Barcelona or I'm, I'm in Dubai, yet here we are. Uh, you know, I'm getting to know you and how you think about things. So I think these new electronic uh, communication devices, these new ways we, we, we gather online, actually give us more opportunities to uh, forge a relationship with someone. Where I see the negative is on some social media where it's just uh, you know, like Facebook or something, it, it becomes quite easy to get into an argument and to be anonymously acrimonious. And, and that's a downside of it. But what we're talking about business and you know, we both wanna communicate here and have a positive experience, you know, it provides us an opportunity that we might not otherwise have. That's true. That's very true. And uh, from your uh, experiences uh, as well, when you see things are uh, spiraling out of control, you know, on a call or on a, you know, more like, uh, you know, in, in an interaction like this, what is the recommendation that to capture it? Because the easiest thing to do on a phone call is to hang up, uh, right? Is that the right thing to do or are there ways to recover the situation on the fly? Well, if this is a relationship gone totally sour and you see no opportunity for it to be recovered, then, you know, uh, breaking off the acrimonious contact is, is, is not an impossible strategy. But I would say this, you know, um, well, let me give you an example. Uh, in my old business, we dealt a lot with people who were planning to hurt themselves, to commit suicide. And what we always taught negotiators is if you think this is what's going on, bring it up right away. Hey, Ziad, are, what I'm hearing is some desperation. Are you planning on killing yourself? Get it out on the table and let's talk about it. And that's a very powerful tool. And I think the same thing applies to business. If all of a sudden in this call, this is turning difficult, 
acrimonious or misunderstanding, I think it's fine to slow it down for a minute and say, you know, uh, Ziad, I'm, I'm sensing that we've gotten off to the wrong foot here, that um, something I've said uh, has displeased you and you're not happy with the way this is going. And I'd really, before we go further, I'd really like to see if we can, you know, talk about this more and make sure that I haven't inadvertently miscommunicated something to you, because I think it's important that you and I, you know, be open with each other so we have a high level of trust. So, I mean, I think that's the way I would approach it. I, I wouldn't pretend it's not there. I would just go right to it and say, let's, you know, let's go into it. I'll give you an example. When I was uh, first uh, in the, F well, when I was first a full-time negotiator at the FBI, I had a new boss that I'd never met. And he was a nice enough guy, but I just got a sense early on that he didn't trust me. You know, when I told him I need to go to some city to speak at a conference or whatever, he had always questioned me, well, what's this about? What's going on? And I finally asked if I could meet with him. And I went into his office one day and said, you know, boss, I don't, I'm getting the sense that you don't trust, um, you know, my motives for doing these things. I said, Let me, I'd really like to clear the air on this. I said, when, when I come to you and say, I need to go to this particular place, I'm not creating a trip that's unnecessary. I'm saying this because I think it's important. I, I want and need your trust. And if you don't trust me, we need to discuss why. What is it that I'm doing or how we're interacting that causes you to feel as uh, suspect about my motives? Because that's not going to work for either one of us. You know, I will never lie to you and I will not deceive you. So it's important for me that you know that and appreciate that. So. That's just an example, and I think if, if you have, and, and, and we never had a problem after that. I think, exactly. I think if you have those kinds of issues, you know, you need to tackle them head on. I think it's the best way to conclude the first section of the show, which is the elephant in the, in the Zoom. So if you have an elephant in the room or an elephant in the Zoom, bring it up. Don't let it sit in its corner and, uh, and brew, right? If you have an elephant in the room, feed him some peanuts, you know? I mean... Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. And, you know, I'm seeing already some interaction from uh, our audience on the comments section. Um, it's being uh, uh, friendly and uh, addressed right now, but uh, I hope we can get some nice questions that we will take in, you know, after we move to the next section. So sure. now I move into what I call business unusual, because I don't think that, uh, you know, it was ever business as usual. And nowadays with pandemics, restrictions and lockdowns, it's totally unusual and our, you know, as much as we hope that things will go back 100% as they were before, it will still take a period of transition. And for that, um, uh, what we're seeing is uh, a return of in-person interaction to a certain extent, uh, maybe even in certain uh, regions of the world, an acceleration or a race to, you know, recapture the the face-to-face the, the ways of doing business but but at the same time there are good habits that are sticking in terms of you can work from home you can work remotely and this meeting doesn't need to happen in person uh, you know with three people uh, flying four hours it can be done over a, a call but at the same time that creates now an imbalance because certain things will happen in person certain things will happen uh, remotely and and might put some people at a disadvantage to each other in different ways. How do you see that hybrid world uh, evolving uh, from the perspective of trust building and communications? Well, I think regardless of the, the current COVID limitations, I think 
we we are going to increasingly rely on technology, and I think uh, companies are going to see that there are significant savings. I have a very good friend of mine near where I live who is a salesman and he's traveled every week for the last 20 years. And he's been unable to travel because of this, but he says, you know, my business is is actually better. Um, and, and I feel I have a better quality of life. But I think what needs to be said is that once a relationship is established, it's um, easier to sustain it through electronic contact. Sometimes being face-to-face can help you open the door to the relationship, uh, but it doesn't always have to be face-to-face. And in some cases, um, you're never going to see someone face-to-face. I have uh, been doing quite a few of these things the last you know, year or six months, certainly, and I have developed some pretty good friendships in this forum right here. Yeah. And I, I, it demonstrates to me that um, it can be done. And these are people I've never met in person, but I, I like them. I enjoy engaging with them. And I, I think that's, I think we need to think not our, what are the limitations and why am I not able to do this and take advantage of what opportunities you do have and, uh, and maximize those. I think definitely we are, uh, you know, trust in, in, in the future, thrust in the future in this case. Uh, and, uh, I wonder, you know, in, in the context now of your, you know, post-FBI uh, career, uh, having written the book, you've also consulted a lot uh, for many firms and, and executives. When it comes to dealing with teams, so it is one thing to, you know, convey a, a one-on-one, uh, you know, relationship even over a Zoom call, but, you know, sometimes we are on a call with four or five people. Uh, any recommendations there or any good best practices that you have seen? Yeah, I, I don't think we need window dressing. If there's five people in the room and you don't want any of them to speak, well, then there only needs to be you in the room. Uh, if you're going to have a couple team members there, introduce them and let them play a role and, and share share the opportunity with, with them. I think leaders really need to think about promoting the careers of their subordinates. You know, am I giving this person a chance to shine? I'm asking them to make this part of the presentation on the call. And, um, you know, I hope they will succeed. If, if they don't perform to the level I want, I'll make some corrective suggestions so that they can improve the next time. But, but be patient and, you know, allow, uh, don't be so controlling that you disallow others in your company to have a relationship with your client, you know, and, um, in fact, it helps you out because you don't always become the, the central singular person that Ziad has to deal with. You know, Ziad knows that if he can't reach Gary and he has a problem, he can, you know, contact John, who he's met, and John's going to take care of it. So I think we should think in terms of, of that. You know, a good leader doesn't, uh, his status is not diminished by trying to take all the credit or all the responsibility. Uh, we, we function best in the team context. And when I was a negotiator, a lot of people don't realize it's very much a team uh, sport, as we say. And um, I used to try very hard when we would be between phone calls with a perpetrator to create an opportunity where everyone on the team, even a very junior new negotiator could offer an opinion or make a suggestion. 
And on several occasions, um, that turned out to be extraordinarily helpful when an idea that I hadn't even thought of was presented by a brand new negotiator. It happened in Waco and I go, wow, <laughs> what a super idea. Why didn't I think of that? And, and then later when that idea is implemented and successful, you give it credit. You know, somebody said, what a great idea you came up with. You said, well, actually it was so-and-so on my team that suggested that. And um, I'm really glad they did because it turned out to be a good decision. So just some things to think about. So this is the element of, you know, we talked first about pulling trust when you are, you know, a subordinate, maybe in a relationship, you will have to go and establish that trust uh, from bottoms up in this case, but also the other way around, like show the trust in, in, in the people, give them that trust and, and, and you know, let them, let them swim, uh, basically. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, closing big, big deals, you know, like we're seeing this happening uh, nowadays. I mean, uh, uh, we just saw, you know, the EU and the UK negotiate a, a whole, uh, you know, uh, exit deal, uh, probably most of it on, uh, on, uh, on teleconferencing. Uh, what are the recommendations there when the stakes are, are so high and there are, you know, multiple parties uh, again? So it's not even one too many, it's many too many. Yeah, I think patience and perseverance are two really important factors when you have a, a complex negotiation like a you know a, an international peace discussion or you know a climate change conference or brexit um i think you have to realize this is not a problem that's going to be easily resolved because if it if it was we wouldn't be where we are so you have to take your time and and be thoughtful and be sure you have listened carefully and understood and acknowledge the position of the other parties. And then you will have an opportunity to share your concerns. But I think you should never resort to attack. You should never uh, negotiate in public where you uh, paint yourself in a corner. I've stated this publicly now, I, I can't move off of that position. I think you have to, uh, demonstrate to be flexible in solving the problem and creative and that I think will encourage like behavior. I think a lot of business people say, well, you know, if, I, if I'm too nice, the other party's going to run over me and, and, and treat me badly. Well, not, not if you don't let them do that. Um, you know, and, and if you get to a, a difficult point, you know, you could say, for example, you know, we, we've been discussing this for weeks now and I've mentioned in several areas where we're willing to make some changes in our presentation, but I have a sense that, you know, you're really not responding in kind. And um, I'm wondering if, if uh, there are some issues or concerns here that you have that I'm unaware of, because I think it's to our mutual benefit to work through this together. But if there's something else going on, please, uh, please let me know so we can we can address it. Amazing. Um you know, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the future. Uh, two, two uh, I think, anecdotes. One of them, uh, you, you reminded me of uh, when you spoke about your, uh, uh, your job at the FBI and that relationship with the manager. I was listening recently to a podcast by Peggy Johnson. Peggy used to be, uh, you know, a senior executive in Qualcomm and then in Microsoft. And now she has become the CEO of Magic Leap. 
virtual slash augmented reality platform. And she took over that job in the middle of the pandemic. So for a long time, uh, I think she interviewed, uh, you know, with the board, uh, she was talking. And then eventually she took over and ran the, the business for a few months totally uh, remotely. So it's quite an inspiring, you know, case of extreme. And it's quite meta because, in fact, the, the, the company that she is leading is facilitating this kind of, uh, you know, virtual, uh, among the different business cases or use cases of uh, Magic Leap is having uh, virtual conferencing or teleconferencing sessions. But the more interesting part uh, is, is another uh, session I took part of uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, with actually when I was invited by Sandra Bear and she's a she's a great friend and uh, she was actually our guest on the last episode of, of season one of Wireless Yours. So she invited me to a session which was called question storming. So it wasn't brainstorming. It was more about asking questions than answering them. And the topic was, has a lack of trust led to a broken world or is a broken world leading us to lack of trust? So I'd like to have your general opinion on that, uh, while we might not be able to solve it, but uh, see how do you feel about uh, the future going forward for the world? Yeah, the classic question of what comes first, the chicken or the egg, you know, but um, I would come down pretty heavily on the side of the world's gone crazy because of lack of trust, not the other way around. Um, I think if we build and sustain trust, it, it has uh, it has a ramification of avoiding a wide array of problems. And when problems do arise, as they inevitably do, it helps us to resolve them more quickly because we have an established relationship. Yeah, the world has always been challenging, but um, you know that shouldn't get in the way. I mean, uh, you know, we may have very different perspectives on an outcome that we want, um, you know, and say, well, we just don't trust each other. I, I think the, the issue is let's find a way to learn how to trust each other a bit, maybe take some small steps, and, and then we'll get to the larger issues. You know, most difficult negotiations start out by we know there are some major issues we're going to disagree on, so let's let's see if we can identify those issues that we can find agreement on. because. The theory behind that is once you have demonstrated a desire and an ability to work together, it has uh, broader ramifications on you positively engaging on more complex issues. So that that would be my response to that. Um, you know, trust is just so so terribly important. I mean, I just think it's you don't ever want to lose that. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, like to a small nod on current events, you know, we discussed a little bit uh, before. Uh, I mean, there is also trust among nations, but also in concepts. So uh, uh, we in the region are, are actually very excited nowadays. Trust is being reestablished between, uh, you know, parties that have been enemies for ages and, and sometimes just adversaries for, uh, for a few years. But in the meantime, we look uh, at the, the United States, your country, and we, we see that this beacon of democracy that we, we trusted as, you know, this is where we all want to, uh, you know, emulate, let's say. Uh, we, we've had, you know, uh, a few years of uh, uncertainty in that uh, respect. So maybe a few words on that before we close off. 
Well, a very uh, contentious topic, and I think probably everybody on this call and beyond is aware of the uh, extraordinarily uh, troubling events that we experienced in our nation's capital in the United States yesterday. And, you know, I can only say for those who, who are not uh, more cognizant of American politics, that we are in an extremely divisive time now. And a lot of that, in my judgment, is based on fear. I think there's a component in American society uh, which is seeing its traditional dominance eroded. Um, they're seeing uh, a demographic change in America. There's different ideas about religion and sexual orientation and any manner of, of, of issues. And for some people, they find that very frightening. Uh, human beings are creatures of habit. Uh, many people do not like change, and it worries them, it scares them, and causes them to overreact sometimes. And I think that's what we're seeing in, you know, some of these folks with the red hats and so forth that um, took over the Capitol briefly yesterday. I mean, they feel as though their world, the world they grew up in, is changing, and it, it frightens them. It frightens them. So, you know, I think um, if you really want to be successful in business in life, you realize that change is inevitable. Um, you don't have to accept all change or uh, willingly embrace it without trying to make it better. But change will happen. And um, those who are adaptable, you know, sort of uh, in, in a Darwinian sense, um, are the most likely to be successful. You know, a, a person of my age, it hasn't been that many years where we've had computers and cell phones. And you see the profound social uh, and business impact of these things. It, it's beyond description. And yet I have friends my age who don't get on the computer. They don't get on their phones. They don't mm -hmm. track things. And that's fine. But they've sort of surrendered to being a part of what's going on now. And... You know, I think you have to say there are things I, I want to be in touch with my grandchildren. So I, I'm, I'm going to learn these technologies. I mean, I was online with my my oldest grandson yesterday. Um, he's eight years old and he's you know trying to help with his reading. And we're reading a book together online and he lives some hours away from me. And I said, what a what a marvelous opportunity this technology provided to me. You know, I was able to spend this really significant uh, bonding time with my grandson because of technology. And I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of things I don't know about and I've rejected, but, but I, I'd like to think I'm open to learning about some of these things because I think while there's always some negative, uh, the, the positive ramifications of it uh, are something that should be seen as an opportunity. And that's uh, totally, you know, what we're finding out at each and every session, uh, uh, and even even not, uh, you know, formal uh, podcast sessions. Like technology is, uh, when used properly, is uh, such an amazing uh, tool to augment uh, humans. Uh, you know, enable them to connect with each other, to have even better uh, experiences. And um, hence we are here today. And you know, I I looked at the comments section Q and A. You know, some um, very good friends have tuned in and uh, said hello and thank you. Thanks to Yasser, Sari, we've answered. Uh, Sari wanted to watch the movie uh, or buy the book, and we uh, you know we've, we've we've posted already a link to the audio book. So we'll post uh, a link to both uh, the real book and the audio book later on. 
thank you to, to Mark and Rima as well for your kind words uh, uh, and your uh, you know constant inspiration. Um, Gary, thank you, thank you very much for for being with us today. I uh, I really again I'm honored and privileged uh, of the trust that uh, that has been established. I hope that we can uh, meet again more frequently online and in person and uh, hope to see you soon in Barcelona, in Dubai or anywhere around the world. La Thank shukran you very much. Thank you. Shukran. <laughs> shukran. Thank you everyone. Dear listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you subscribe to Wireless to Yours on your favorite podcast app. We are available on all popular platforms including Anrami, Apple and Spotify. Your opinion matters to us, so leave us a review with your feedback and stay tuned for more. Wireless to yours.